It's always fun when you open up your iPad and see a message from your wife. She says, give them Jesus. So I think that's what I'll do. How are you guys this morning? Uh, yeah, this sounds good. How are you guys this morning? Are you guys awake over here? Uh, yeah, that's pitiful. Okay. I'm glad you're here. I'm Scott Weatherford. We're going to continue our series, Hope Restored. Before I jump into this, I need to remind you of something. One year ago today, I made my way through purgatory and came to First Baptist Wimberley for the first time. Now... Yeah, it was incredible. The uh, warm welcome preaching was mediocre because I was preaching. But who knew on that day that I would find my way here? Uh, Kevin Kruger did. Uh, Kevin, you were here that day and you told your wife on the way home that I was going to come be the pastor here. So you're a prophet. But if you're ever wrong, we stone you to death. Okay, just so you know. (laughs) But I'm so excited to be here. And I'm, well, today we're going to talk about a subject that affects everybody in the room. You cannot say, if you're in this room, you cannot say, well, this doesn't apply to me, because it does. Because every one of us struggle, are broken by, are going to be broken by sexual sin. I am so not excited to preach this. Uh, Several months ago when we were mapping out the year, I wrote this down, hope restored from sexual sin, and I thought, yeah, these people ain't ready for this. But I realize as a pastor, if I really love you, I'm going to have to talk about subjects that are hard. Because if you don't address them biblically, then Satan has a stick to use on you. And so we want to take the stick out of Satan's hand and we want to whoop him with it today. Because I want you to be free. There's an account written by Pastor John John pastored a church in Asia Minor. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in his congregation. And he wrote a gospel to prove, to show to us that Jesus is Lord. In his gospel in chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, he tells a story, an account. An encounter someone had with Jesus. I'm going to read it for you. You can follow with me if you want to in your Bible. It'll be up on the screen. But I'm going to read it for you. Early in the morning, he, that's Jesus, came to the temple. And all the people came to him. Can you imagine Jesus teaching in the temple? What was like to hear Jesus teach? The very author teaching, it's just incredible. And and, and Jesus came and he sat down and he taught them because that's what Jesus did. He met their needs and he told them the truth. I talk to pastors all the time and I said, guys, I want to tell you something. If you love them, you meet their needs, you tell them the truth. God will do something through you that's indescribable. And it's true. He met their needs, he taught them, and they had a a big need. The scribes and the Pharisees, now the scribes were the ones who copied scripture, and they're also experts in Mosaic law. So they were the lawyers of the day. And the Pharisees, that was kind of the clergy, they were the uh, self-appointed legalists of the day, and they dressed in Pharisaical robes so everybody could point them out. They had an external righteousness and an internal hypocrisy. Does that sound familiar? That's kind of the way most of us want to couch ourselves. An external righteousness, but an internal hypocrisy. And they brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery, placing her in his midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught to the act of adultery. Now the law, Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. 
What do you say? Where's the man? Last time I saw it takes two to commit adultery. If he's caught in the act, where's dude? Probably standing in the crowd with the accusers. They said this to test him, Jesus. They, they might have some charge to bring against him because they wanted to kill Jesus. I'll tell you something. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus gave his life. He was not killed. It was a gift. When, my, uh, when the, the famous guy O'Reilly came out with his book, Killing Jesus, I screamed at the TV, nobody killed Jesus. <laughs> Do y'all ever scream at the TV? Will you be screaming at the TV this afternoon a little later? Okay, all right. <clears throat> Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. They continued to ask him and he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw stone at her. Now in ancient times, stoning wasn't chunking rocks per se. Stoning was they took you to a high place, pushed you off, and if the fall didn't kill you, they'd throw rocks down on top of you. Now, they were in the temple mound, so they would take there to the pinnacle of the temple. And if you go with me to Israel, you'll see the pinnacle of the temple is about a 100-foot high wall on the southeast corner, and they would push her off, and if she didn't die from the fall, they would throw rocks down on top of her. And Jesus said, hey, who doesn't have sin? Chunk the first rock. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And they left the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, Probably the most powerful words in John's gospel neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. This is a hard talk, y'all. How do we deal with something so close and pervasive as sexual sin in such a public way? How in the world do I have the audacity to stand before you and talk about this subject? <laughs> That's a good question. How do we respond to a culture that thinks sin, sex is not a big deal, sexual sin is not a big deal, when we have a God who says it is a big deal? Is sex bad? No, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. Intended to be on the cover of marriage. Uh, when I was back when I was a student pastor, uh, Sean, I, I would tell the kids that said, you know, if you build a fire in the fireplace, it warms up the whole house. If you build a fire in the living room, you burn the sucker down. That's the same way with sex. Sex in the context of marriage is a beautiful, wonderful gift from God. It ought to be practiced with frequency. I see that hand, brother. Yeah. <laughs> if you come to our married couples retreat in the fall, I'll talk to you about how it is actually an act of worship. Some of you guys said, I'm going to that. <laughs> that beats singing them dadgum songs, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> but outside the cover of marriage, it's, it's, it burns your life down. A few months ago in the series called Crazy Love, 
I talked to you about how to protect yourself and guard yourself from adultery and from sexual sin. And I invite you to go back in our archives and take a listen to that. But today I don't want to talk about that. Today I want to talk about our great God. And I want to give you his hope. His hope on this topic. How do we respond when we've been broken by our past, frozen in our present, and foreboding in our future? How do we find that healing and the hope that only God can bring? How do we, how do we respond when this has been a part of your past or it's the reality of your present? What do you do? What do you do? How can we as a church stop judging and condemning and become people of restoration? How can we throw, throw down our rocks? Y'all jump every time I drop that rock. It's kind of fun. And really find restoration. What can we do? How can I be restored from sexual sin? How can we be restored? When we dashed our souls upon the rock of such an act. You see, there's something about sexual sin that has a greater impact than other sins. Now, no sin, uh, there's no sin that's greater. All sins are equal. But every sin has different level of consequences. And sexual sin stains deeper. Paul even said it to the church in Corinth. And I'll talk about Corinth in a little while, but I want you to listen to this. Run from sexual sin, Paul says. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual sin is against the body, since your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you and is given you by God? You do not belong to yourselves. You do not belong to yourselves. For God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. Paul was writing to a culture that had no boundaries when it came to lust. He's writing to people in Corinth where Corinth was the center of pagan sexual worship where they're literally going to the temple, going to church, was having sex with prostitutes. And he's saying to them, run from this. And they're going, hey, Paul, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. Just because everybody does it don't mean it's right. Right? There's a different standard. There's a wounding. There's a staining. There's a tying together physically of your bodies that has a tremendous spiritual impact. You are spiritual first and foremost. Is there healing when you've messed up? Paul was preaching to a congregation that every one of them had had sex with a temple prostitute, most likely. I don't think this was a popular talk. The Baptists are having a potluck and the pagans, well, they're having an orgy. That changes how I attend it Sunday, doesn't it? And Paul said, run from this. It doesn't matter what culture says. Are we people of the culture? Are we people of the covenant? You see, any sexual relationship outside the bonds of biblical marriage is sinful. And biblical marriage is between one man and one woman. That's it. So let's deal with this. I'm going to walk through this account. We're going to look at different people. I'm going to ask you, where are you in this? Who are you in this account? 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you want to say through me this morning. And I pray, oh God, that I will speak for you. That will not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth custom made for those who listen today. And Father, I thank you that you were so incredibly awesome that you knew he was going to be here months and years and centuries before. And I pray your truth will set folks free. Set me free. And I thank you for how good you are. And I pray all of this in Christ's strong, matchless name. Amen. Now, you might want to take out some uh, the study guide, the Take It Weekend with you notes and jot down some things. Let me remind you of the resources we have provided for you to go along with this sermon series. On our website, we have group videos that you can watch. They're about five to seven minutes long. And we have a devotional, a daily devotional, five days a week that I've written deeper insights. Now, why do we do that? Why do we write this curriculum? Because we love you. That's why. And we want to give you everything we can to help you have your life built by God. And let me tell you my position. Y'all, all I am is one beggar telling other beggars where I found some bread, okay? I don't think I'm better than you. I don't. I struggle with the same stuff. But we want to provide this for you so you can have a life that's full and abundant. And you have an eternity with the unbelievable great God. And so that's why we do all these things. So let's jump into this. Let's look at the characters in this account. First of all, let's look at the broken woman. Here she is, objectified. She was like many women of that day, like every woman of that day, they were considered objects. Many things have not changed, have they? Next week, I'm going to be talking about being sinned against. And when I started this series, I had no idea the Me Too movement would be launched for such time as this. Dead gum. But we're going to go down that trail. And we're going to deal with abuse. And we're going to deal with, with hurt. And it's not just, men, just women who have this. It's men. I saw stats this week that said one in four women will be sexually abused in their lifetime. One in six men will be. And all of us, all of us have suffered some kind of abuse, whether it's neglect or bullying or just selfish behavior. We've all been sinned against, haven't we? Five head nods and two, body, some, two people woke up. I'll drop the rock again. Okay. So it's that dealing with that. So that's what we're going to do next week. But this woman was objectified. She was a part probably a prostitute. Now you would think in in scrub clean Israel that kind of resisted the Roman Greek culture, they wouldn't have sexual sin issues. Wow. How deceived are we? Wow. How wrong are we? I think it's time for the church to tell the truth about what is going on. Don't you? And nobody, that's great. First service, they were into it. Now y'all are just looking, looking at me, okay? But she was a broken woman. She was totally exposed. Probably, absolutely set up. Because obviously, the man wasn't there, probably standing in the crowd who she was committing adultery with. And she was set up and probably naked as she was 
brought out before this, these people in the temple. Now the temple would hold 300,000 people during the days of Jesus. And it was in the court of the women. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But she was literally dragged out in front of people and completely exposed and shamed. The Pharisees and scribes came with the rocks. They were ready for condemnation. They were ready. I think it's funny how we're so quick to condemn people because we want to take the glare off of us and put it on somebody else. If you're a parent of more than two children or more than one child, you know the other one's going to point out the sins of the other one so they get out of trouble, right? They were there. She was trapped. And see, we often get trapped. We often hide behind some false view of ourselves and we blame our sexual choices based on the predisposition and that is a trap of Satan. And we're shamed and locked into labels of shame. Why in the world would we be so unloving to label people? We label people according to their sexual choices. He's homosexual. Really? She's a lesbian. Really? He's a heterosexual. And even though he's promiscuous, it's sometimes honorable because he's not attracted to the same sex. Really? Or we're whatever. And maybe we should label people as beloved. Child of God. So when it comes to sexuality, I want to say this to you. We're supposed to be biblical sexual. Let me push that down a little further. I'm married to Tara, so I'm a terrasexual. Sounds like a dinosaur, doesn't it? <laughs> she hates it when I say that. But that's true. She is my only option, and I'm her own to hucka hucka burn and love. <laughs> Some of y'all just kind of threw up in your mouth a little bit. That's all right. <clears throat> but why do we label people? And it drives me crazy. And we want to say, I'm this or I'm that. No, you're not. I'm an adulterer. No, you're not. I'm a fornicator. No, you're not. That may be the practice of your sin, but you are the child of the most high God who loves you and longs to redeem you and longs to rescue you, longs to forgive your past and preserve your present and propel your future. That's who we are. And this woman was caught in a trap and facing death, physical death, the death of her dreams and absolutely the death of her worth. Forever, ever she will be labeled the woman caught in adultery. Even in the editorial notes of my Bible, it says the woman caught in adultery. Shame on that editor. She had been sinned against and she'd been participatory in the sin. 
hopeless, forever defined. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you're the same. And the truth is, our sins do not have to define us. Our God defines us. Let's look at the accusers. Smug. Hypocritical. Willing to do anything to catch Jesus and their warped, perverted web of conspiracy. Even to the fact of shaming a woman publicly. Declaring their own hypocrisy and their own purity that was all just a joke. Predators wanting to use a broken woman for their evil plans. Where was the man? You see, they were just as broken. The dirty little secret in the Jewish world was their own sexual perversion. They were acting just like the Greeks and Romans. Bathhouses in Greek culture were not for bathing. They were for, for, for perversion. And the Jews were right there with them. Maybe they'd even heard Jesus teach on the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if you look at a woman as to lust over her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. They're all guilty. And they were all just as hopeless. All just as hopeless. I love this, that Jesus, he, he knelt down and he wrote on the ground. You ever wondered what he wrote? Some of y'all hear this for the first time and go, uh, what's this been kneeling down and writing on the ground? Man, theologian after theologian has had a discussion about what Jesus had written. Do you know theologians like to discuss stuff they can't answer? And they discuss it ad nauseum. And, and, so, they, and so I read different people about what, what they wrote. Max Licato, my friend who pastors a small little church over in San Antonio, he, he wrote this in one of his books. He said, because the woman was naked, Jesus wanted to divert the attention off of her naked body onto him. And that's why he wrote on the ground. Okay. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? You know what Jesus wants to do with you? He will say, hey, quit looking at your sin and look at me. Quit looking at your neighbor's sin and look at me. Another scholar I read, he said, well, it's probably that Jesus knelt down on the ground and he started writing out the Ten Commandments. Okay, that sounds like that might be all right. You know, go write out the Ten Commandments. Just list them out one by one. Number it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, time, and write them out. Makes sense. Then another one, this, I like this one. He said Jesus knelt down in the sand and he wrote the names of the women these guys were having the affairs with. Boom. <laughs> That'll make you drop your rocks, won't it? I like that. We don't know what he wrote, but we know he wrote with intent to point out to the accusers where they stood. I was talking to somebody between services and I said, this is what they said. They said, well, you know that for our first crowd, that's an old crowd and they really don't need to worry about that. They don't need to hear that. Talk about sex, they want to sing Precious Memories. So they don't need to hear about that. 
I don't plan this stuff, y'all. It just comes out. Okay. He said, at, at second service, they, they need to hear this because they're young in their prime. I said, you know what? The Bible says the older ones dropped their rocks first because they had a realization they'd been sinning a lot longer. Boy, isn't that true? And Jesus wants you free. Whether you're young, whether you're old, he wants you free. And for some of you, he wants to save you. And for all of us, he wants to redeem us. So let's look at the crowd. Who were they? It was in the court of women. And you know how loving girls can be when somebody's called. Well, I just knew she was like that all the time. I told you. I knew her in high school. You should have seen her then. Remember prom? Woo! And I imagine them women just, I just find it ironic it took place there because her shame was put on display in the court of her peers. And they were engaged in the, in the, in the, the display, but they were not a part of the condemnation and they were not a part of the execution that would ensue if she were indeed stoned. They're not part of it. But I imagine they were going, oh, and I imagine if it's true that Jesus was writing out the names of the women these old boys were having an affair with, some of those women were standing right there probably looking at Bubba going, you know what I'm saying? And this poor woman in the middle of perhaps the most unforgiving crowd. But they were watching a private forgiveness with the public perfunctory. And every woman heard the pronouncement and felt the restoration that Jesus was offering. Every woman. If you notice the account, it said only the accusers left. The crowd remained. And they heard Jesus say, hey, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And it settled into their souls I have the power to be forgiven. I have a savior who wants to heal my private shame in a public way. You see, they lived in a system that propagated hopelessness. Women were objects. They were not persons of worth. But I want to tell you something, sisters. You are persons of worth. And Jesus came not only to save our souls, but to change the plight of women. He calls you daughters. He calls you princesses. Not the Disney kind, but the real kind. And guys, he calls you brothers, joint heirs. I was talking to another one of our, our advisors. I won't tell you his name. I'll give you his initials. Mike Stevens. Mike said, Scott, if men would live all for Jesus, women would be so much better off. They got a weak, tippet clap from one person. <laughs> but isn't that true? Guys, that's why, yeah. 
guys, that's why on February 22nd, we're going to start gathering as men and talk about real men stuff. And hey, you younger guys, you're invited. We'll feed you and you come hang out. You teach these old dogs some new tricks. Yeah. Because we want to give our girls real men and real men love Jesus. I'm just getting warmed up now, y'all. All right. Any system that makes people worth less is worthless. Any system that makes people worth less is worthless. That'll tweet. Finally, let's look at Jesus. Hey, y'all, did you know that God wants me to be like Jesus? He wants you to be like Jesus. He doesn't want you to be like the woman, even though you may be, or the accuser, even though you may be, or the crowd, even though you may be. He wants you to be like Jesus. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's not the condemner of sinners. He's the savior of sinners. And what Paul said, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm going to tell you something. I give Paul a run for his money. And I bet some of you can too, can't you? Don't be t- elbowing your spouse. Yeah, you, Paul, you, you're a bigger sinner than Paul. This ain't a competition, y'all. But Jesus is a complete restoration. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. The power to go and sin no more is through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, you have the authority of God through the power of the Holy Spirit not to sin anymore. But I do. You got the power not to. I have to yield my life to the control of this God who has died for me. I have to be changed. Then what Jesus does, he puts us in a family. A family that is there to live us and love us and care for us, to close those circles of hope and concern, that we're not a gathering of judgment, but we're a gathering of grace. It's one sinner to the next sinner with a great Savior. Not wagging our heads saying, yeah, I always knew you like that. No. Come on. I want to tell you something. I don't think I've ever told you all this. I've told this to every group that I ever pastored or been around. I want to make, I want to make you a promise. I'm going to love you till I'm dead. After that, you're on your own. John Weinbrenner still here? When did I tell you that, John? When you were 15, right? You old now. I'm still young. You're old. It's true, isn't it? And it makes us a family. And Jesus says, I'm going to love you because I died for you, then we'll love you forever. Love you forever. And he gathers us that we might be a community of grace, that we could say to each other, go and sin no more because we've thrown our rocks away and we dropped our judgment. You see, Jesus always shifts the glare of, the glare of sin off of sin and onto the Savior. And there's no sin Jesus cannot forgive. And there's no sinner Jesus cannot restore. And I don't care where you've done, what you've done, where you've been, what you've become, what you're harboring right now, what you're participating in right now. You have a Savior who says, I want to give you hope and I want to set you free and I want to restore you today.
today. Today. Pastor John, he said this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you what that means. Confession is not informing God. He already knows. He knows what you've done. He knows what's in your heart. When you say, hey, Jesus, I've done fill in the blank, he doesn't go, huh, when did that happen? Oh, my gracious. Gabriel, come here. Did you know that happened? No, he knows. What you're doing is you're exposing to God that you know what he knows already. He's faithful. It means it's based on his goodness and his unchanging character. He's faithful to forgive you because he already has. When he died on the cross, he did it. He forgave us. He's just. That means his justice is complete and he cleanses. You know what that word cleanses means? It gets this. It means as if it never happened. As if it never happened. Y'all see the commercials on TV, Serve Pro? And uh, it's about a water restoration company. The founder of Serve Pro is a Christian. And he claims 1 John 1, 9, as if it never happened. Jesus is Save Pro. And so what does he want to do? He wants to restore your purity. So your past is forgiven, your present is preserved, and your future is prevailed. Wow. You need you some of that, don't you? Some of you right now, you're kind of going, oh, dang it. He's talking about this stuff, and I'm as guilty as a dog caught eating chicken eggs. Did you say, yeah, you are. But I love chicken eating, egg, eating dogs. Come here, let me pet you. Let me cleanse you. You go quit eating eggs. Don't help you. Love you. Restore you. Some of you, your marriages have been dashed on the rocks of sexual sin. You had a bad start. But I want to tell you something. Jesus wants to give you a great finish. He wants to heal that stuff. Some of you are haunted by knowledge you know of your spouse. And Jesus wants to shut Peyton, uh, Satan's demonic pie hole to calm the voice in your head that's condemning your spouse. I was working with a couple and it was revealed that she was molested by her student pastor. And the husband said, she spoiled goods. I beat him to death. No, I didn't. I'm kidding. I didn't beat him to death. I wanted to. I really grabbed him by the shoulders. I looked at his face and said, how dare you? How dare you? And I'll say this to all of you. There's nobody in this room that spoiled goods. Because we have a great Savior. It's a hard talk. But we have a great Savior.
And when we planned this talk, we knew we were going to have communion. And so it's very intentional that we're going to ingest the very symbol of us belonging together and facing of our brokenness. And as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup today, you're going to proclaim that you have a great Savior who died for you. And for some of you, you go drop your rock. And you're going to go on. And for others of you, you're going to say, God, thank you for dropping the rock. Thank you for being the rock on which I can build my life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome at the table with us. You don't have to be a member here, but you do have to belong to Christ. There has to be a time in your life that you prayed and asked Jesus in your heart. If there's not been that time, then this meal is not for you. But I want to give you a chance to do that right now. That you can pray and ask Christ to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sin and even your sin against. And come and have communion in the community of the broken, of the redeemed. I'm a great sinner, but I've got a great Savior. And so in his authority, we can go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for how good you are to us and how consistent and how loving and how grace-filled. And Father, we can deal with our brokenness with you. And we can deal with our brokenness with each other. That we are the fellowship of the broken but we are not broken beyond repair because we have a restoring Savior, and that's you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let us come now and eat as a celebration of the fact that we belong to you in repentance and in joy in restoration and in hope. Folks, with your heads bowed, no one looks, but today you need to receive Christ as your Savior. You know you do. Or maybe... There's some repentance you need to do. You need to confess to Jesus some stuff. Let that happen right now. I want to help you with a prayer. This is a prayer of salvation. So if you need to trust Christ, pray this with me. Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me of my sins and make me right with you. Thank you. Thank you that you have. And I give you my life. Jesus, I'm yours. And I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for you. If you just prayed that with me, then welcome to the family of God.